A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. I it was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. I'm senior producer Aaron Barker, filling in for Ben Lilly while he explores the Arctic wilds of Canada this week. Uh, this week we have a story for you from Dina Walker. The story was recorded at our mental health show on March 12th at Littlefield in Brooklyn, New York. So when I was 23, I admitted to my boyfriend that I had cheated on him. And as most rational human beings do when they find out their significant other has betrayed them, um, he decided he didn't want to see me anymore. <laughs> and this was a problem for me for a lot of reasons. It, it was a problem for him too, like I recognize that, but it was a problem for me because throughout the course of our relationship, I had referred to him as, our, as my anxiety blanket, meaning that when I went to bed at night, if he was beside me, it would somehow calm the crazy in my head and help me sleep. And when he left, <coughs> it sent me into a three-day panic attack, which consisted of me hiding in my closet, hyperventilating, and crying hysterically, um, leaving every once in a while to go throw up, and then running back to the safety of my little hole. And while I was in there, I felt as if the world were collapsing in on me and that I had completely lost control. And I was paralyzed by the fear that someone would find me in there. And as if all of that weren't enough, in the back of my mind I kept thinking, this is it. This is when you're going to have to go on meds. You're going to have to start seeing a therapist. This is when you're going to be hospitalized. And worst of all, this is when you need to call your parents and tell them that you need help, which was a secret that I had kept from them for the past six years. And I had kept that from them to protect them from the fact that they had not one, but two mentally unstable daughters. So I actually have two sisters, um, one that's five years older than me and one who's seven years older. But it was really my oldest sister that I always kind of felt an ex that I was an extension of. I'm not sure how many of you guys have siblings who are significantly older than you, but I think it can kind of make for interesting relationships. I've heard some people tell me that they felt like they were raised as an only child and they felt really distant from their siblings. But from, for me, it was the opposite. Uh, some of my earliest memories of my sister are of her babysitting me and her being my caregiver. And I think through that, she became a second maternal figure for me. And as I got older and I started to model my behaviors, well, I had my mom on one hand who was reading Reader's Digest and wearing mom jeans. And on the other hand, I had my teenage sister who was reading Seventeen and wearing some badass acid wash jeans. <laughs> So I bet you can figure out who I modeled myself after. <laughs> and actually, I would say she became 
more than a role model to me. I would say she became my hero. In fact, I would almost say that I saw her as me in seven years. And be it conscious or unconscious, I really ended up following in her path almost exactly. For example, my sister is really smart and she's always excelled academically. Um, and she ended up graduating valedictorian of her class and she was offered a full ride scholarship to the University of Nebraska. I know, it's funny, it's okay. <laughs> um, so upon seeing this, I too excelled academically and I graduated third in my class, which is kind of a failure, I know. But luckily, the university took pity on me and offered me the exact same scholarship. And the fact that we looked almost identical probably didn't help me to try to forge my own path in life. We looked so much alike that my, our own mother got us confused on a couple of occasions. And it was through this that I really started to think that my life was predetermined by her actions. And honestly, I didn't really have a problem with this because my sister was a bright, accomplished young woman. And as far as I could tell, I was going to live a pretty fantastic life. But as we got older, things started to change. First, it was pretty minor. She just kind of withdrew from the family and her friends and started spending more time alone. And I didn't really pay too much attention to that. I kind of figured it was teen angst and that she would grow out of it. But the huge shock came when I was 14 and she was just out of college. When she called home to tell my parents that she had checked herself into a mental hospital and that she needed their help. I don't remember the specifics as to why she checked herself in, but what I do remember was the confusion as to why or how someone ends up in a mental hospital. I was obviously really concerned for my sister's well-being, but mostly I was terrified. Because if that could happen to my sister, what does that mean for me, who basically sees herself as her clone, or sees myself as her clone? Her first hospitalization was the beginning of a decades-long process that consisted of numerous therapists and countless therapies. <laughs> and I think everyone in my family really wanted to support her and would have done anything we could to help her, but honestly, we really didn't know what to do, especially when nothing seemed to be helping. For me, her hospitalization began a decades-long obsession with trying to avoid the same fate. And if my calculations were correct, I had about seven years to figure it out. So around that same time, I learned about the concept of nature versus nurture, which is the question of whether our traits are controlled or predetermined by our genes or if they're influenced by environmental factors or societal factors. And kind of the like normal or uh, example of, of this is if little boys and little girls are genetically predisposed to play with like male typical or female typical toys, or if that's influenced by social or environmental factors. <clears throat> and 
And for me, this question became so important because I knew that I shared 50% of my DNA with my sister, and I knew that I shared 100% of my parents. So my initial hypothesis was that I was screwed. But I was a burgeoning scientist. And so I started to analyze and observe every emotion and reaction I was having in order to gain some insight into whether or not anxiety and depression were going to take hold in my life as they had in hers. And when I had my first panic attack at the age of 17, I dealt with it in the exact way you would expect a young scientist to do. I hid it and I pretended like it didn't happen. And this coping mechanism of avoidance and denial worked quite well for me for a long time. I went to college, I graduated with a degree in molecular biology, and I ended up taking a job as a cancer researcher. <clears throat> and in that position, I studied how environmental factors influence the susceptibility to cancer in genetically similar individuals. So to put that another way, what I was asking was, are there environmental factors that may increase or decrease your risk of cancer in animals that share a significant percentage of their DNA? Let's just say 50% of their DNA. I don't know. And it was around this same time that my anxiety and depression became a lot more difficult to control and really difficult to hide, hence the anxiety blanket. And I started to think, think back to my sister and me, and I was wondering if there were environmental factors that might be influencing my susceptibility to anxiety and depression or if it was all controlled by my genes. And that night, in the closet, when I was 23 years old, I was beginning to think it was the latter. So I didn't call my parents that night. Instead, I went looking for my anxiety blanket. Yes, I showed up on my boyfriend, or my ex-boyfriend's front porch. And he was super happy to see me, <laughs> especially in that state. Uh, but because he was incredibly nice and probably quite mature, uh, he took me inside. And he actually put me to bed. And he called a therapist and he made me an appointment. And when I woke up, I did not want to go. <laughs> but I was also starting to realize that I was running out of options. So I went. It was a two-hour session. And at the end of it, my therapist said to me, I think I can help you. And I remember thinking or feeling like somebody finally understood. That session was the beginning of a decade-long process of me working with my therapist to learn to stabilize and heal. And about six months into my therapy, I started realizing that I wasn't happy doing cancer research. And, so, and I also knew that I was starting to become interested in how the brain worked, 
and upon the urging of my friends and my therapist, I decided to switch fields into neuroscience. It did help that I had a job offer from a neuroscience lab, I'm not gonna lie. But it was in that lab that I ended up doing my graduate work. And for my PhD, I studied how environmental factors influence the developing brain in genetically similar individuals. <laughs> and as I started to reflect back on my scientific career, what I realized was that the same question that I've been asking since I was seven years old, which is, what is going to make me my sister, was prevalent in most of my scientific inquiries as well. And just like in my personal life, I had avoided asking the question directly for fear that I wouldn't want to know the answer. But now, as a postdoc, I study how, I study how environmental factors influence susceptibility to depression and addiction in genetically similar individuals. <laughs> But if I was going to put that another way, what I would really say, uh, the question that I'm asking is, what is going to influence who I become? Is it that 50% of my DNA that I share with her? Or is it the environment that I've chosen to expose myself to? And now I'm starting to see that this is just one more step in the process moving away from avoidance and towards acceptance that even though my sister and I might be similar, I'm not her, and I'm not gonna be her, and neither my genes or my parents could make me her. Thank you. That was Dina Walker. Dina Walker is a postdoctoral fellow at Mount Sinai School of Medicine, where she studies the molecular mechanisms of addiction and depression. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Just a reminder, the Story Collider depends on listeners like you for support. For more information on how to contribute, please visit storycollider.org donate. The Story Collider is produced by me, Ben Lilly, Brian Wecht, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Littlefield for hosting the show and to my fiancé, Justin, for figuring out how to use this recorder. Thanks for listening. <laughs>